Now today we're going to be continuing our sermon series that's winding down called I Wonder. And today, you know, we've got this really uplifting sermon title today, I Wonder About the End of the World. Uh, you know, that, that, that's an important topic uh, that we're going to be discussing today. Next week we're going to be talking about heaven, but today we're going to be talking about what about the end of time? Do you think very much about the end of time? You know, typically you, you United Methodists and your pastors don't think a lot about the end of time. Some denominations think a lot about the end of time. Some denominations, uh, the Adventist denomination, that, that, that's what their, their main thrust of theology is to the, the, the talk about, now this is a big word, the eschaton, which is the study of the end of time. It comes from a Greek word, eschatos, which means last, last things. So you could also say the eschaton is the study, or eschatology is the study, of the destiny and conclusion of all the things that God has created according to the purposes of God. Eschatology is about how God has designed the world to be transformed. Now notice I didn't say destroyed, did I? Eschatology is not how God designed the world to be destroyed. Eschatology is about how God designed the world to be transformed, to be changed, to be put in line with the very purposes of God. Now do you feel better about the sermon title now? You know, I was noticing, uh, you know, the Methodist hymnal, you, you, you get to these different sections in the Methodist hymnal, and we're singing out of a section today uh, that's called the return and reign of the Lord. And, you know, you just start, you just start going through some of these songs. We've already sung a, a great one, but you've got one called My Lord, What a Morning. And guess what? That's an African-American spiritual. And then I want to be ready. Guess what? That's an African-American spiritual. Shall we gather at the river? And then Duke Ellington. Did you know Duke Ellington did his last sacred concert at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church in the 1970s? And on page 728, Duke Ellington made the Methodist hymnal. Come Sunday. You know, you, you, when, when you start looking at these hymns that speak to us about how God's going to transform things, they come to us from people who are really in touch with a world that needs to be transformed. Right? That needs change. You know, the book of Revelation is probably the most misunderstood book in the entire Bible. And, and, and it was, a, it was a, a, a spiritual, if you will, that, that was written by John for Christians who were in the midst of the worst persecution they'd ever had. And what that book is about is about, hey, wait just a minute. Don't give up. The Lord's coming. and He's going to transform everything. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Mark, the 13th chapter, the 32nd through the 37th verses. Mark 13. I'm going to be reading out of my brand new Bible, the Net Bible. 
We're going to have some in the bookstore soon. Thank you, Hall Harris, Dr. Hall Harris, for this great Bible. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Mine will be slightly different than yours, but not much. But as for that day or hour, no one knows it, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. Watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. He left his house and put his slaves in charge, assigning to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Stay alert then, because you do not know when the owner of the house will return, whether during the evening or midnight, when, when the rooster crows or at dawn, or else he might find you asleep when he returns suddenly. What I say to you, I say to everyone, stay alert. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On April the 3rd, 1943, excuse me, 1843, there were scores of believers in the Northeast awaiting the end of the world. They all followed a New York lay Baptist evangelist named William Miller. And Miller's picture is going to come up. He was a successful farmer and he was an Adventist. Miller's followers were called the Millerites. And you thought Millerites just drank beer, didn't you? Well, these didn't drink beer. These Millerites expected the coming of the Lord any time now. In fact, the journalist in New York had a field day with the Millerites. Reportedly, some disciples were on mountaintops hoping for a head start to heaven. You know, get way up there high, you don't have as far to go. And others were in graveyards planning to ascend in union with their departed loved ones, going up together. And there were reportedly uh, ladies, and I'm sure men of high society, who had clustered together outside of town to avoid entering heaven with all of the riffraff, the common herd. And when April 4th dawned, as usual, the Millerites were disillusioned, but they took heart because William Miller, their leader, had predicted a range of dates for the end of time, not just the 3rd of April, and yet those dates came and went too. The, the Adventist church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, broke off from the Millerites, and I was reading in Wikipedia, I, I was shocked at this, but there are 20 million Adventists across the world today, 20 million. To put that in perspective, there are 12 and a half United Methodist, 12 and a half million United Methodists across the world. And you know, since the Millerites, there have, have been many who have claimed that they know the uh, coming of the end of the world. Do you remember back when the millennial changed? Do you remember that? There were, there were those who cropped up and said, you know, when, when we go from 1999 to 2000, 
the Lord may come that very night. You know, we thought all the computers would crash and all of that. You remember all of that, don't you? There was all this buzz about, oh, this could be the end of time. And those days have come and gone too. What do we make of this? You know, of all the themes of faith that the Bible says about the end of the world, you'd say that this ranks at the very top of those controversial issues the church squabbles about today. The end of time. And not surprisingly, its controversial nature has also caused um, to be one of the more popular subjects of faith. You can go into any Christian bookstore and you can see a, a, a plethora of books on the subject of the end of time, uh, promoting all kinds of different opinions and, and, and theories about the end of time. Books are written, television shows are made about the end of time. Perhaps you remember not too many years ago, uh, there were those books that were written around the theme, Left Behind. And I think many of you bought those books, as did I. We wanted to see if we were one of those that would be left behind and what it meant to be left behind. And, and some of these books have elaborate maps and timelines and they seem to be obsessed with the subject of the end of time. We still have religious leaders today. Sometimes you can catch an evangelist on TV that espouses a date or a time or it's coming soon when everything's going to be not transformed but destroyed. That's usually the slant. And obviously this is a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of Scripture. Uh, that's according to what I believe, right? And there are lots of different beliefs. My guess is if you've been coming to a United Methodist Church for any length of time, this may be your first sermon on the end of time. So it's high time we talk about it. You know, as Christians, we believe that God is working towards an end. That's scriptural. We have a linear faith. God is working His purposes out in the world. And we know that it will be um, a time when God deals with sin and evil and injustice and all of that will end. And God will bring about this peaceful existence. We, we know that's the way the world is going. We know that's the way God's taking us. We know that's God's purpose for it not to be like it is now, but for it to be perfect and we sing we're marching to Zion beautiful beautiful Zion we're marching to Zion the beautiful city of God we're going somewhere that's what the Christian message is that's what the biblical testimony is we are on a journey a journey led by God to an end that God is in control of you know, the, the wonderful chapter of Romans 8 deals with this. And how many times have we read Romans 8? How many funerals have you been to that, that the text of the day was Romans 8? And, and usually we read excerpts of Romans 8 and we leave out the good part about the eschaton. So I'm going to read it this morning. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Any of you want your bodies redeemed? For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For our hopes, for what is, is seen. But if the, we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We hope for what is not seen, but we hope with faith because we know the one to whom we pray is taking us to an existence that is transformed. God is transforming us and the world to become what God wanted from the very beginning. Do you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about the will of God? We wonder about the will of God. and We were talking about God's intentional will and God's permissive will and ultimately God's ultimate will. That's what we're talking about today. God's ultimate will where God is taking us is to a complete transformation of life as we know it. The kingdom of God is where God reigns supreme. At this moment in time, God's kingdom both is and is not yet. We see bright glimpses of it, but we know it's not complete. We pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. We have this sort of anticipation of what God is actually doing, what God is at work at doing, and that one day it will be complete. Paul's words above uh, that we just read express our deep yearnings for God's kingdom to come, our groanings, it says, and that reign to be in God's fullness. You know, since most Christians yearn for the reign of God, you will find these deep yearnings expressed through many different views and opinions as to how and when the world will end and what God's complete reign will be like anyway. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail this morning about these differing opinions and views, but suffice it to say that some are speculative views and some are ridiculous views and some are just good fiction. So I'm going to try to stay with what I believe to be uh, biblical views. Uh, we're not trying to create a bestseller and we know that bestsellers usually aren't always all that factual. They got to have a little juicing up, a, 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 a little destruction in the midst. But, but a lot of, of, of the theology that we talk about is around a biblical study, study term called dispensationalism. 
Some believe Christ will return before a tribulation and take away those who are saved and then come again later to receive those who were left behind. Now that's a pretty simple way to put it, but some believe that. Some feel that Christ will come in the middle of the tribulation. And others are convinced that we will have to suffer through the tri tribulation and then Christ will gather believers. There are also those uh, that have views related to a thousand year period called millennialists. And there are those who espouse a belief and they're called premillennialists. And premillennialists, they believe that Christ will come and reign on earth before the end of the world and the last judgment. Any premillennialist in here? You don't know what I'm talking about. And others are postmillennialists. And postmillennialists, they believe that Christians will reign on earth first and then Christ will come again. Any postmillennialists? And still some call themselves amillennialists. Amillennialists, I mean, y'all got to give me some credit. For an East Texan to say millennialist is tough. <laughs> amillennialists, they believe that there will be no thousand-year reign at all, but the world will gradually convert, and it will finally be God's world. I... I'm a pan-millennialist. And I believe that it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> I believe what Jesus said this morning. He said, no one knows when the world will end. Not even I know it, Jesus said. Only the Father knows it. You know, it's always baffled me how... But particularly churches that are so bent toward Bible interpretation get so bent out of shape related to the end of time and they just skip over what Jesus said but about that day or hour no one knows neither the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father You know, I believe we are not called as Christians to obsess about the details of the end of the world. I mean, it can make for an interesting Bible study. But it shouldn't be the driver of the bus, theologically. We are called to be faithful until the end. If we are obedient to God, we can be at peace with however and whenever God chooses to transform the world and establish the full reign of his kingdom. But not just be at peace, we're supposed to be at work. You know, I saw a bumper sticker once upon a time that said, the Lord has come and look busy. Really, I mean, if the Lord's coming, we want to be about the work of the Lord. Therefore, we know the Lord's coming, right? So we need to all be about the work of the Lord. You know, is there anything about the end of the world which we are certain of? I mean, do we want to leave here today with some certainty? I think there is. I think biblically we can point to some certainties about the end of the world. 
You want me to tell you what they are? Well, I'll do that some other time. No, I'm going to tell you today. Here's one certainty. This is a biblical certainty. I, I think we can take this to the bank. Our world will be transformed. Now notice I said transformed, not destroyed. There are many who who speak about the end of time and and the main focus is on doomsday. It's kind of a Halloween faith. It's kind of a scary faith in which it gleefully tells horrific ways in which God will destroy our world. Now, that's not what I read in the Bible. I read about a God who transforms the world. It doesn't have to destroy it to do it. There's nothing in the Bible that says that God is going to absolutely annihilate the world. And in fact, God created the world and called it good. And God uh, loved his creation enough to send his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will be saved. Not just from an end of time judgment, but will be saved to live abundant life in the here and now. And what God is doing as we speak is God is transforming the world with God's love so that it can be the world that it was intended to be. We as Christians play a part in that transformation. And however God wants to bring it to a close, that's God's business. But we are called to be part of the transformation of the world because we're followers of the one who's taken us somewhere toward that transformation. So I'm going to say that's a certainty. And second, we will be transformed. Throughout Scripture, we are promised that just as the world will be transformed, you and I will be transformed. We we will be given a new body. Here's, Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, the fifth verse. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and our earthly tents, they will be destroyed. We will die. We have a building from God, not one that will turn to ashes and dust. A house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. So our bodies, our earthly tents we live in, will give way to a heavenly dwelling of the Lord, a dwelling that has already started here. If the Lord is in you and you in the Lord, then that dwelling has already started. But our earthly bodies will fail, they will decay, but our heavenly bodies will never pass away. They pass on to a transformation. We'll say more about that next week. Thirdly, when the world ends, we can be certain that we will be judged. That's biblical. 
The Bible is consistent about the fact that there will be a time when God will judge each of us. Paul is clear about it. In 2 Corinthians, that same uh, fifth chapter, the 10th verse, Paul says, for all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in body, whether good or evil. Now the distinction here is that it is not our sin that will be judged, but our actions as a result of being forgiven by God in Christ. God's already taken care of our sin. That's what the cross is about. We we have been redeemed by the work of God on the cross in Jesus Christ. The question is, what have we done with that recognition of what God has done? How thankful are we? How do we live in keeping with the great gift of salvation God has offered to us? Now, let me tell you something. If you wake up every morning and you pray that the Holy Spirit will help you live in such a thankful way for your redemption, you're going to have a better day. If you are mindful, every time we gather at the Lord's table, that's usually first Sundays for those of us who are Methodist, and and we gather around this table and and, and we we claim we're going to one day feast at His heavenly banquet. But we gather as those who have been forgiven and we gather at what we call the great thanksgiving. We're going to live as those who are recognizing that we were undeserved of that redemption, but we've been given that redemption. And so we live every day trying to be, um, trying to be like Jesus, trying to live a life that becomes the gospel. And when, when, when that day comes, when we are judged, when we live in that kind of recognition, We can all name all of these different shortcomings on that day, I'm sure. But how do we live? You know, I'm thankful that the God who is going to be judging me and judging you is not you and not me. Because our God loved us enough to make the ultimate sacrifice for us. That's a lot of love, isn't it? We can trust a judge like that who created a world and called it good and created you and created me and calls us his children. How do you treat your children? Paul's passage uses the word recompense. Therefore, the judgment that Paul speaks of is about our fullness or lack of fullness being recognized by God. How we behave is a response to being saved, and it has eternal significance. And finally, the certainty that I think we see in the Bible is that God will reign forever. There will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more tears. There'll be everlasting peace and joy And in this existence will be glorious. That's where God's transforming us to.
this place. You know, there's an old story about an old preacher who was preaching a sermon once, and he, he, he confessed to his con- congregation. He said, you know, when I was a little boy in school, said, I, I figured out in the textbook that you could go back to the back of the textbook and you could read the answers to the questions. You, you read a chapter and you just go to the back where chapter one is and you can read all the answers there. And, you know, that's the way I prepared for tests. Is I'd go to the back of the book and I'd make sure I knew the answers. Then the preacher smiled and he held, held up his, his leather-bound Bible and he said, I've read at the back of the book. And, and guess what? God wins. God wins. I like that. You know, the, the, the end of the world, as we know it, it is a theology that's not meant to be scary or to cause us to fear. It's meant to put us to work, to live out of the thanksgiving for what God has done for us, and, and, and to live out of hope that, that we know that all of the, uh, the, the pain and the, uh, and the evil and, and the injustice and, and the imperfection of this world that we live in, it's, it's not the end. It, it's being transformed by God who's ultimately in control. So just in case you didn't get it, I want to save you some money on going out and buying a book or two. You can do that for your own entertainment. But you need to first remember what Jesus said in Mark's gospel. Keep awake. Don't go to sleep. There's two of you that woke right up when I said that. (laughs) For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake, stay busy. The transformation of the world is how we partner with a loving God to whom we can trust the end of the world. Amen.